Well, good morning. Um, it's good to be with you again. Um, just a quick reminder that there's a men's group that gets together here at the church on Wednesday nights at 7. We're reading and discussing the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's a good group. It's a nice group, good, good discussions and so on. Good seats are still available. So if you would like to come, um, you would be welcome. We would love to have you come. So um, let me pray as, as we begin the sermon. Lord, I thank you that you dwell with us. I thank you that we can come and together in your name and know that you are present among us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so this is the wrap-up of the series on the songs of ascent, the songs that the, that the Jews sang as they... Um, as they as they did their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and um, there are 15 of them. Uh, we're going to do Psalm 127 this morning. It's the one sitting right in the middle, but it's worth reminding us, reminding you, of why they did this. So, um, so why why did they make these pilgrimages? Uh, what were they to do? What were they point of them? What were they doing? So if I could have the first slide, it will take you back to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses, they're in the wilderness, and Moses says to them, let's see, so I can, oh, I've got the slides. Oh, I've got the slides. Oh, such power. All right, this is Deuteronomy 16, um, verses 16 and 17. And it tells us why they did this, why they did these pilgrimages. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, <clears throat> at the festival of the unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should come up here before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So three times a year, three pilgrimages a year, to Jerusalem, they made pilgrimages to, well, the place that God will chose, choose. Um, <clears throat> the first of these was the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is Passover. That's the season we're entering now with Lent. Um, in the Christian calendar, of course, it's, it's um, Good Friday and Easter. In the Jewish calendar, it was Passover was when they were taken, rescued out of slavery. So you can see the connection between uh, being taken out of slavery and Easter that was made. There's a whole, I'm sure there are, there are many, many, many PhD theses written on these things. I don't know them, but, I, but you can, there probably are. All right, so the so first one was, was a Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was Passover, about this time of year, it, um, a little bit later. The second one was called the Festival of Weeks. Um, it was seven weeks later, um, 50 days, and it was the one that they were celebrating at, well, that's why all the, all the Jews were in Jerusalem during Pentecost, because when Peter preached at Pentecost, there was a big crowd. Why was there a big crowd? Because they were there for the Festival of Weeks. They had come for this festival. It had two meanings to them. The first was it was the beginning of the harvest. So as the first things were to be harvested, they were to celebrate this. So it was a, a promise of faith that God is going to provide for them, and God, the harvest would be bountiful and so on. The second one was in rabbinical tradition. 
In rabbinical tradition, it says that's the, the festival of weeks is when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Um, Exodus doesn't tell us when it was, but that's in rabbinical tradition, that's when it was. So that was what the festival of weeks was. So that was the second time they were to come to Jerusalem on these pilgrimages. The third one was the festival of the booths or the tents or the tabernacles. Um, it's all the same word. There was a, a Hebrew word that is sometimes translated tent, sometimes translated booth, sometimes translated tabernacle, all the same word. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit. And this one is in the fall, um, and when it was to come together to celebrate the harvest and what the Lord had provided for them, and also to celebrate the Lord's protection for, for in the wilderness. All of these were festivals. That is, they were meant to be celebrated. You know, we may think of them as well. They had an obligatory pilgrimage, and I even may say something along those lines, uh, slip and say something along those lines. That may seem like an obligation or a duty, but it was actually a celebration. It was a blessing they were being offered to come to the presence of God together to celebrate. So that was the point. That was the point. Now, the second thing to point out about this is that um, they were to always come with an offering. They were to bring an offering, bring a sacrifice, bring a gift. Um, they always came to bring an offering. And the third thing to note is that it was at the place that he will choose. It was where God told them he, they will meet. Now, originally, when they were in the wilderness, this was the, a place called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, in fact, a tent. And it had the Ark of the Covenant, it had altars, it had various... Um, places to wash and, and so on. It was a tent. And, and in Hebrew, it's a tent, a booth, a tabernacle, all the same word. But when the Greek, when, it was, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, they actually, Greek offered more nuances. So they described the dwelling place of God and they used a different word specifically to talk about the dwelling place of God as the tabernacle, which came through to us later, many centuries later, in the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God, but it was a tent. I'll come back to that. Okay, now, and the tabernacle would move with them. They would camp places for months at a time, or even years at a time, and they would set up the tabernacle, and that was the dwelling place of God among them. And that's where they would come to celebrate, to do these festivals. Um, even after they moved into the Promised Land, the tabernacle continued for centuries, hundreds of years, that they still set up the tabernacle. They, they moved around, depending on political fortunes and who had invaded them and where they had to put it and so on and so on. But it moved around, but it was still there, and they still went there and they still celebrated it there. Now, eventually, David conquered Jerusalem, and, and he established the tabernacle, his capital, and the tabernacle in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on a mountain, so they had to walk uphill. That's why they're called the Songs of Ascent. And, and, he, and he assembled all, he brought together all the things because he wanted to build a permanent dwelling place. Not just a tent, a tabernacle of a tent, but a permanent dwelling place for God. A temple that incorporated all the elements of the tabernacle, but was more permanent. 
And, and God said, no, 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 you're not, you're not the one to do that. But Solomon will do that. So your son Solomon will be the one to build this temple. And Solomon did. He spent seven plus years, 150,000 workers to build the temple on, on, uh, in Jerusalem. And that's where they would come. Um, he then spent another 12 or 13 years building his palaces um, in the same area. So it was a big complex that they came to. And the tradition is, whether it's true or not, but the tradition, it makes sense, that you know, they're singing these as they come up the mountain, and when they spotted the temple, they would supposedly start to sing Psalm 127. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But it, makes, it certainly makes sense. It's a good story for a speaker to talk about. Um, that they would talk about Psalm 127. So here's Psalm 127. Now, if you have it in your Bible, you'll notice that it's called Psalm 127, a song of ascent, a song of Solomon. So Solomon himself wrote this song for the people to sing. And let me pull it up. I can read it there, or I can read it here. And um, as a younger man, I would have read it back there, but now. Okay, so here's the song. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from God, offspring a reward from him. Um, like arrows in the, in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with opponents in court. So the song deals with three, really, three things that really preoccupy us. Preoccupied the Jews, preoccupy us. Where are we going to live? What's our life going to be like? What kind of a house do we have? How are we going to protect it and guard it? How are we going to make sure? It, uh, and, and what kind of a family are we going to have? These are things that, that preoccupy all of us, and, and they're, they're the subject of this song. Um, and it assumes that we're going to try to do everything we can here. It doesn't say, you know, be lazy, let the Lord take care of it. It says, no, no, you're going to toil for this, you're going to build this, you're going to try this. But if these are not the Lord's doing, it'll be in vain. In vain here doesn't quite mean, like, well, it's worthless. It means, like, it'll be self-directed. It'll be satisfying your own ego. It'll be a vanity project. It may not be bad, but it'll be a vanity project unless the Lord is doing it, all right? Um, 
So any goals, any projects, any endeavors that we try to build on our own without the Lord being involved, they're for our own ego. They may not be bad. They may be quite enjoyable, in fact. But they're for our ego. We shouldn't mistake the fact that they're really something for the Lord. Now, I'll get back to this in a little bit. And we know that, you certainly know, that we cannot adequately protect or guard what we have. You know, all it takes is one tree falling, on, falling in the windstorm, and next thing you know. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have homeowner's insurance, and you shouldn't have service contracts, and you shouldn't have... No, 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 that's just responsible living. It means that you can't depend on those things. You have to you depend on God. It says we can't possibly work hard enough. You know, we've been sold a bill of goods. Um, maybe you haven't, but a lot of us have. That, that we can do these things on our own. That we can, in fact, work hard enough. And if I work even a little harder, something, well, that's true. Laziness doesn't get you anywhere. Sloth is one of the, we don't use the word anymore, but sloth is one of the, the sins, right? So you know, there's no call to be lazy, but you also understand that you're not toiling because you're going to, what you're doing is you're working for yourself. You have to say, is this what God is calling me to do? Is this God-directed or self-directed? So after he talks about these three things that we can't do, we can't build the own, our own house and have it last a long time. We can't guard it from all the invaders and all the things that will come against it. We can't work hard enough. He then turns to what the Lord does, what Solomon does do. Solomon turns to what the Lord does. He grants rest or sleep. He grants us families. He grants us a reputation. These are things, so the things that we cannot do for ourselves and have them last, these are the things that God can, does for us. And so that's the, that's, the, that's the structure of the song, and that's how it works. Um, it's a sad irony, maybe not an irony, it's a sad fact of life, that by the end of his life, Solomon was not living by this. He wrote the song. He built the temple. He built the palace. He built the house. He had guards. He had, but by the end of his life, he wasn't living this way. And I think, you know, it's a lesson for all of us. I said to Danny, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do in this section, so bear with me in this section. I'm not sure. All right. Just indulge me. So when I was 20, I decided, you know what? I'm going to build a house. Not a house, not a physical house. A profession, a career, a reputation. I'm going to be somebody. And I worked hard. I was always the first one there, tried to be. 
I didn't work late because the work didn't really lend itself, but I always brought it home and worked on it at home at night and in the, on the weekends, always. I, um, I paid a lot of attention to what my competitors were doing, and I said, I have to try to guard what I'm doing from what they're doing. And I did that for a lot of years. And I built a pretty respectable house. Now, you know, people had better ones, people had smaller ones, but mine was pretty respectable. I had a pretty respectable career. The thing is, at this stage, it's done. I can pretty much look at what that was like. Oh, there are still a few things that I'll read a genetics journal and think, huh, there's a really good experiment right here. They should do this experiment. Ah, uh, maybe I should go in and do the lab and no, I can't go into the lab and do that experiment myself. I still think it occasionally. So the but the basic house has been built. The house that I imagined I would build when I was 20 years old, the life that I would build, the things that I would toil for, the things that I guarded from competitors and so on, that's kind of been built. There are a few things, you know, maybe it's like, you know, I read something and like, I want to replant the flower box or I want a window box or I want to trim the yard or something because I got a little bit more to do. But the basic house, and I can look at it and I can say, this is what it was. And I know that at this point I'm supposed to say, yeah, and you know what? Because no one ever went to the grave thinking they should have spent more time at the office. They used to say no one ever went to the grave thinking they should have bought a smaller hard drive. They don't say that anymore. It used to be, you know, now it'd probably buy, they should have bought less cloud storage or something. But I actually don't think that. I had a great time. I enjoyed this. I worked hard for this. I worked, I had people that I liked, that I worked with. It was really, it was a lot of fun. Now, now granted, there was a lot of anxious toil. There was anxieties coming out my ears sometimes. But I actually liked it. I knew someplace along the way, but I learned an important lesson. Yeah, it was, it was a vanity project. But the Lord was using it to build something different. Something that maybe included that ele those elements. But he was building a grander, bigger immeasurably more house out of what I was doing. A lot of times I wasn't even paying attention to how he was doing it. And if I had been paying attention, I probably would have taken credit for it because my ego was such that I would always take credit for things that happened. Or I kind of knew it. After all, I was reading the Bible, I was praying, I was going to church, I was meeting with other Christians regularly. So I would see some of the work that he was doing in my life. But what I discovered was he had built something really different. When I got to the end and I could look at that genetics house, I could say, that was great. I really had fun doing that. I enjoyed that. But you know what? God used that shack, that vanity project, to build something even better in terms of the character and the, and the life that I had. And that's, you know, I don't say that as a point of ego. 
because it was entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. As I say, I wasn't usually paying attention. And if I was paying attention, I probably would have taken credit for it. Well, I did this. I worked hard for this. I, yeah. But it wasn't that way. The Lord built something better. So that's what I would say to you. Yeah, build the house. Guard the house. You know, worry over the house. But understand that the Lord is probably building something better. And make sure that your, everything you do is directed towards what he is doing. Because when you get to this point and you see what that, house, that, what that genetics house looked like, it was pretty good. But it's like nothing compared to what he's really built. Okay, so that's the song. I feel like I should stop and say, any questions? <laughs> but, but I can't, it's not the format to do that, so I can't do that. All right. Let me talk about something a little bit different. A little bit, let me go back a little bit to the, why, we, why we're doing this whole series. The Jews, three times a year, they made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They were festivals. They don't make the pilgrimages anymore. The Jews don't make this pilgrimage. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. They, were, they don't make the pilgrimage. They still celebrate the festivals. We have friends who are Messianic Jews, and we have celebrated it with them, some of them with them. They celebrate the festivals, but they don't make a pilgrimage to do it. Virtually every religion, or at least speaking as a, a, an expert on world religions, which I know nothing about, but many, many, many religions make pilgrimages. They have a holy site they go to, they bring an offering, they meet with their God there. You know, the Muslims have it, the Hindus have holy sites, the Buddhists have holy sites. Most, most religions have a pilgrimage. They do this, this is a thing, right? You know this. So. Why don't we? Why, aren't we? why don't we make a pilgrimage? Why aren't we required to make a pilgrimage? Why aren't we, you know, why, why don't we make a pilgrimage? Have you thought about that question? I hadn't really thought about it until a few years ago, and I was reading a, um, the Gospel of John in a different translation. And he had a couple words, he had a word translated very differently. And it introduced, and suddenly the penny dropped of all of these different pieces that I thought I understood, and suddenly it came together in my mind. So why don't we make a pilgrimage? Well, I told you that when, they trans when the Greek scholars translated the Hebrew Old Testament, they took this one word, as I understand it. Now, remember, my degree was in genetics. Um, as I understand, I think there was one Hebrew word, and they used different Greek words, right? One of which was the word, essentially the word tabernacle, the dwelling place for God. And that is a really common word in the Old Testament. In the Greek Old Testament, that is word appears everywhere, about tabernacle, dwelling place of God, tabernacle, dwelling place of God. When it comes to the New Testament, it's actually not a common word at all. It only occurs a couple places. 
But those couple places turn out to be, in my mind, they were incredibly informative. And it gave me an insight that I didn't have before. This is the first one. John 1, 14, and this is the one that tipped me off. This is the one that said, that gave me the aha moment. Now, you know this verse, probably know this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word, he dwelt among us, it's one of the occasions, one of the very few occasions in the New Testament where the writer, John, picked the word tabernacle. The, 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 Lord became, the word became flesh and made a tabernacle among us. So we don't go we don't make a pilgrimage to a holy site. We don't do that because God himself made a pilgrimage to us. That's, that was, you know that? But the word tabernacle in that spot, and it turned out that was one translation. I went back and I made sure that it wasn't just unique to that translation. It wasn't, it's, a, it's not a common translation. Almost everybody calls it dwell but there are some that call it tabernacle or build a tabernacle. And if you go look to my limited ability to go look in my reference books, that's the word. He made a tabernacle among us. He became a tabernacle among us. So it isn't like saying, oh, I, I live in North Bend. Oh, I live in Wilderness Rim. I live up at the Pass. I live in Snoqualmie Ridge. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's saying it's a dwelling place. It's where God dwelt with us. That's why we do Lent. That's why we celebrate this whole thing. Because God dwelt with us. So we don't make a pilgrimage because he made a pilgrimage to us. Furthermore, we don't bring a sacrifice. They were, they were told to bring a sacrifice. We don't do that. Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We don't bring a sacrifice. We've become a sacrifice. We are the sacrifice. We don't have to bring something. We are the sacrifice. One more piece. The tabernacle, they, sell it, they use the tabernacle for, if I sort of guess and look at dates and stuff, probably close to 500 years they had the tabernacle. But they knew it was a temporary thing. That's why David wanted to build the temple. And the temple was going to be a permanent thing, a permanent dwelling place for God. Except... The temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Solomon's temple was destroyed. It lasted 400-ish years. A long time, but it was destroyed. The workers couldn't guard the city well enough. It was then rebuilt by Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And that temple, and then it was remodeled and expanded by Herod. Um, and that temple lasted until 70 AD, about 500 years, until the Romans plowed it to the ground. So again, it was to be a permanent dwelling place. Well, the tabernacle wasn't permanent. Solomon's temple wasn't permanent. The second temple wasn't permanent. But look at the second use of the word tabernacle. It occurs in Revelation. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, God's tabernacle is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The tabernacle still exists. It's among us. It's in us. And it will exist for all eternity because the Lord has built it as a dwelling place among us. Let me pray. Lord, this is a, an amazing, amazing promise to us. That for all eternity, we will dwell with you, we will celebrate, we will sing, we will sing this and every other song that's ever been sung. Because we've got all the time in the world. And that you will dwell us and we will be your people. We praise you, Lord, for this. That you came and made a tabernacle among us. So we don't have to go anyplace. You did it for us. In the name of Christ, amen.